Psalm chapter 8. Anybody ever seen any beautiful sceneries? Like, just raise your hand. I asked the kids, but let me hear it. Like, you, you've, maybe you've been to the beach. I had a chance to go to uh, Denver, Colorado, and just outside in Morrison. Uh, there's a place called Red Rocks. I didn't get to see a concert, but Cody and I went back in October. It was fall. It was beautiful. Huge red stone, red rock amphitheater. Um, I, I got to hike Guadalupe Peak about seven years ago with my two brother-in-laws. It was a fun time. It was a joyful time. Uh, West Texas has this weird, beautiful scenery. If you've ever been out there, you're like, dude, there's desert. Yes, it is. Uh, but it's also just some, some of God's beautiful country. Uh, maybe you've been to Riodosa and hiked in the mountains. Maybe you've been uh, hiked up to Pikes Peak. Maybe you have been on the beach um, and you've just watched a sunrise. That's probably me. Uh, and not a sunset. My family's up later than I am, so I'm going to catch the sunrise this next week when we're at the beach, uh, but together we'll be able to see a sunset, like the, just see the sun going down over the horizon. Maybe you've sat outside on the porch. I remember as a kid, uh, like, sleeping out on a trampoline, like me and my brother and our cousins, and like just gazing at the stars and just thinking of how big God is. Then you see shooting stars, and then you see meteors, and just all sorts of things that have drawn our attention. Maybe you've been on a cruise out in the middle of the ocean, and just like, man, this thing is vast. This is so big. I, I, you can't even wrap your mind around. One of my favorite things also to do is to watch a storm roll in. Anybody? I grew up in West Texas, and so watching the storm in West Texas, you can see it from miles away just lightning and thunder and, and just the clouds moving in. It's just a beautiful reminder of how big God is. That's just a little bit of creation. Then you start talking about wildlife. Like we know more about the galaxies than we do of the, the vast uh, parts of our ocean. That's pretty wild to me, that we don't even know the depths of the seas and we know all sorts of stuff about different stars. I'll get there in just a little bit. But if you just try to wrap your mind around how big God is, wildlife and different beasts and different animals, if you've ever watched like elk or antelope or, or just any of God's creation, it's beautiful. God would create all of this. That's usually where it leaves me. Just awe-inspiring that God would create all of this. Maybe you've seen some of God's beautiful handiwork and it's left you in awe of the creator. But you know what is most interesting in all of that? As beautiful and majestic as all of creation is, I want you to hear this this morning. Our creator actually finds his joy and his delight in all of his glory as he breathes life into a bunch of broken, busted people like you and I. Man, how amazing is all of his creation, and yet he chooses to boast about us and find his joy and delight in you and I. Hear me on this. More than the majestic handiwork in all of his creation all around us, he actually reveals all of his majesty that we're going to see this morning, all of his glory throughout all the world by using weak people to carry out this great mission that he's called us into. What a peculiar way. Like if you think about that, what a very interesting, almost an odd way to display how magnificent he is. And at the same time, what an invitation for us to be a part of his mission. 
Turn with me to Psalm chapter 8 this morning. I want us to prayerfully see what the Spirit might have for us. Psalm chapter 8 this morning. David writes in verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. Like I imagine David, kind of like what I just did, I imagine David sitting in God's creation. He's taken some time to look around. He's realized how big God is. He's probably noticed some pretty incredible things along his journey in life. Maybe as he's literally sitting to write this prayer of praise, he's just looking around at all of God's creation. He's had those moments where he looks and is in awe of everything that is around him. The stars, the moon, all of creation that he's seen, that he's beginning to feel in this moment a bit overwhelmed at just how vast and big and majestic God is, which is why we see him begin with this. He says, Lord, our Lord. I don't know in what Bible, what text you have, but if you, in mine, if you look, it's Lord, the first Lord is all caps. Raise your hand if you look at your Bible and you see that it's all caps and the second one is not. That's interesting, right? Like, Lord, in this moment, he begins with all caps. And what that is, is that's the personal name of God that we would say Yahweh. The Hebrews would say Yahweh, which means he's the covenant-keeping God. Yahweh, Exodus chapter 3. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? Moses is saying, God, what am I supposed to tell them? Who's, who's coming to them? And he says, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors. So now it's this personal Lord. It's Yahweh, who he is, who he says he is. I'm going to get there. But then he also says, say, uh, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So Yahweh and yet very personal. God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. I am who I am. I was, I will be, and I am forever and always God. So David is not just saying Lord as in master. He is the second one, personal Lord, master, Instead, he proclaims Yahweh, the one and only, the name above every name, our Lord, all caps, our King, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. So up front, David's acknowledging the greatness of his creator, and it stirs his heart to write this psalm of praise. As he looks around, he sees God's beauty in all of creation. It stirs his heart to worship and to write this. And here's, here's the deal. I think we move too fast in life. I think we're too busy to sit and to reflect on the majesty of God. Yes, you've probably sat on a front porch. All those things I went through, you've taken in, but then it's like we move on to something else. What David does is he never moves on from this. He never moves on to how vast and beautiful and intimate that the Father really is. I think we move too fast. We, move, we try to move on from his majesty. But also, I think we've had a hard time wrapping our minds around this. 
right? Like we just, we just don't do it enough. We don't sit in that tension of how, how is there eternity? What does this even mean? I don't understand. We don't sit there because we're like, I'm frustrated. I need answers, right? We need absolute. And the absolute truth is I am who I say I am. Yahweh, God, creator. A few months ago, Claire uh, Dearman came up to me after the gathering and she asked me a tough question. I love when, when our kids come up and they ask tough questions. And, um, you know, the one that really makes you stop in your tracks and you're like, oh, this isn't just a Jesus Sunday school answer. Like you're, you're thinking, you're thinking about this. She said, Pastor Matt, who was before God? I mean, we're supposed to be tearing down. There's a lot of things happening. And she just says, Pastor Matt, who, who was before God? Something I had said in the sermon grabbed her attention. The Father, the Spirit grabbed her attention. And she genuinely just said, who was before God? I had to, I had to think and prayerfully think, all right. Claire, how old are you? Is she in here? How old are you, Claire? Seven. How do I answer this for a seven-year-old? All right, let's go. But the answer is this, no one. No one is before God, and here's why. He is never ending from everlasting to everlasting. Now that sounds easy to wrap your mind around, but not only when you think about space and time, you think about time, uh, think about this with me. If there was a time where there was absolutely nothing, if you go back to this and you're like, well, there was a time where there was nothing, then that means nothing could possibly be now. If there was nothing, how do we have something? Because you can't get something from nothing. Which means if there is something now, then that in itself shows us that there always was something. By his own power, in his own will, Yahweh existed before all things. He's the uncreated creator. He's self-existing, the one who spoke all things into existence. He's complete in himself. No dependence on anything or anyone. No one tells God what to do. He can't be tricked into doing something. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forevermore. He's consistent. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. All of his promises are yes and amen. God actually defines himself. I am who I am. He's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's just who he is. Along with thousands of other names in the Bible of who he is, Jehovah Jireh, provider, how he loves and protects and cares for each of us. And David says that he, Yahweh, made his glory known not just throughout the earth, but throughout all of the heavens as well. Things seen and even things unseen. Every last bit of creation has been stamped with his handiwork. We're able to, to see that all of his splendor, all of his majesty on display throughout his power and might. And here's what's mind-blowing even in the midst of all of that. Look with me at what David says. In the midst of all of the things that I just explained that still I know some of us are just wrestling with. In the midst of all of that, David says, From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, 
you, Yahweh, have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries, adversaries, I mess up that word every time, adversaries, in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. So more than the majestic handiwork in all of Yahweh's creation around us, as beautiful as it is, more than that, he chooses to reveal his majesty throughout his world by using weak people to fulfill his mission. I don't remember who said it when I said, what is God's mission to save? Might have been little Logan. A mission to redeem and restore all things, to make all things new through the power and work of his son, Jesus. That means that right now, the Father, through the work of the finished work of the Son, in the power of the Spirit, is relentlessly, He is relentlessly, He's relentlessly pursuing your heart in this very moment. So let's talk about this for just a moment. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established this stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the adventure. Yahweh, he could have chosen. He could have chosen to defeat his enemies in so many different ways. He could have. Sometimes I'm like, I think you could have done that differently not this hard route, not this hard journey you've called me on, God, couldn't you have just told me this? But this is what he chooses to do. He does his greatest work through human weakness. Let me say that one more time. He does his greatest work through your weakness. Why do this? I mean, the nations rage against him. All throughout scripture, darkness, the realms of of the spiritual world are out to prove us, to still kill and destroy, to point us to something different. The kings of the earth, they take their stance. Why silence them with the chubby lips of his children? Why do that? Because his glory and his power shines far brighter when he triumphs over his enemies with helpless little children. You see that? Could he have done something different? Has he in the past overcome his victories, overcome in powerful ways? You bet. But when we're talking about the one mission to save the world, to send us the Redeemer. He uses helpless children and triumphs over his enemies. Think back to Ephesians with me, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. What is it? It's a gift from God, not from works. Why? So that no one can boast. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. So that no one may boast. God receives all of the glory and honor, not man. This entire book, from cover to to cover is a full story of the underdog becoming victorious. I don't know if those type of movies draw you in, but I love a good film like Rudy or or just a good old story where it's like, man, the underdog prevails. A story like that we see with the author of this psalm, David. 
the little shepherd boy, the last in line, just a wee little shepherd boy. Can't even fit into the armor of a soldier, but nobody's willing to go up against Goliath. Frantic, panicking, terrified, and David says, I'll go. Tries to put on the armor, just swallows him. He can't even, can't even move. And what happens? He faces off with the giant. And God does what only God can do. He shows off his power and his might. It's so obvious that it's not from David's strength. He takes a little slingshot and a couple stones. And he kills the giant that everybody was fearful. It's so backwards in the way of this world. God's kingdom, though, is not of this world. Never is. His mission is turning this world, this culture, upside down. So it's no wonder that this is the way of God. And even more than that, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9. I want you to follow along with these passages. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign. Let me, let me say that again. Prosperity will never end. Never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Isaiah 9. Zechariah chapter 9, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you, he is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey. Two Old Testament texts of many, fast forward with me to the New Testament, Luke chapter 2, then she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Gentle, lowly baby, no room in the inn, born in a manger. Now, Matthew chapter 21. Then they approached Jerusalem. They came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you. Gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Gentle and lowly and yet king riding a donkey into town. From the beginning, the mission would always be accomplished through a gentle and lowly child who would totally turn the world upside down and ultimately defeat and destroy the enemy. So even through the life of Jesus, we see God winning victories through the lips of his children. A few verses later, as he comes riding into town on the donkey, 
People from all over are coming to see the Messiah. Listen to what happens. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did, hear this. And the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus replied, Yes. Have you never read? I can just imagine a little bit of sarcasm here in our, our uh, Messiah. Like just looking at, like, have you never read this? You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. Psalm 8 fulfilled. The psalm that we're in this morning fulfilled. Children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. Not hallelujah to this guy who rode in on donkey. Children proclaiming hallelujah, Hosanna to the highest. Hosanna to the son of David. Children, weak and vulnerable in the eyes of the religious people, are the ones who recognize Jesus as the Messiah. The one in whom their salvation would be found. And I love this, that all of the religious folks, the chief priests and the scribes, they couldn't stand that Jesus would allow such lowly children to say this. Now, I did a little stu- study because I was like, what kind of, are we talking about like four years and younger? What, what's happening? Literally, if you go back, it, it, children could be translated to like grade school. So 14, 15, at that point, they become into to manhood. So let, I mean, you got teenagers here shouting Hosanna. You got infants probably crying and celebrating in some odd way that the, the Spirit has given them this voice. You have little kids crying out Hosanna and Messiah. The children knew that they had a seat at the table with the one who brings salvation. And it's at that moment that God's enemies were defeated. They were silenced. The children's praise is what won the day. Family, even all of Satan's lies, all of his fury for you, he himself cannot stand against this simple truth. Jesus loves me for this I know. That song's not just for kids. That song is the truth that we live by. That song is the foundation of our salvation. Jesus loves me, for this I know. And ultimately, we see Christ has the final word over his death. Through the shame and through the weakness of the cross, Christ reigns victorious over all of his enemies. That's how he accomplishes his mission. But I don't want us to miss that there's an invitation to this for us. There's a wooing for him to say, hey, come be a part of this. Come live on mission. He says, verse 3, When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? You made him little less than God crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Family, the majestic one, Yahweh, our father and creator, invites us to join in with him. Like his glory, 
is made known to all of creation as weak and frail people who carry out this great mission. And just to be clear, again, David is struck with the majesty of God here. What is man that you would remember us? In the midst of all of this creation, who am I that you would remember me? He still invites us into a relationship with him. How gracious of him. One of my favorite verses, Habakkuk chapter 2. We see God's glory will fill the earth as the water, as, yeah, fill the earth as the waters fill the sea. How? How will his glory fill the earth as the waters cover the sea? Through you and me, making much of King Jesus. He entrusts us to living out this mission of pointing everyone we can to Jesus. Oh my goodness, we overcomplicate it. I overcomplicate things so, so much. I read into things so much. This isn't a pyramid scheme. This isn't like this enticing thing of, aha, like got you now. It's his grace and his love poured out. Father to the son, and then this invitation from the son to us that says, hey, come and be a part of this. Let the spirit give you a new heart. Come and be a part and see what we can do. When I was in college, Louis Giglio preached a message. There's this thing called passion. This has shaped me for years. And I couldn't help but think about Psalm 8. Um, he was preaching on Psalm 8. And he uses this example. And this is how I'll, I'll shift with us and, and close. With regards to just how, God, how big God is, this is what he says. God's mindful of you. He's mindful of you. He knows you. He's mindful of you. Of you, And here's why that's so incredible. If you think about our universe, let's start with our solar system. This is going to be fun. Kiddos, pay attention. Get your golf ball out. I got mine. I got the green one. I, do what? Yeah. It was because I didn't have enough uh, green and orange ones, and I didn't want kids fighting. So I took the green one. Um, Adele's got hers. Everybody hold it up. If you think about our universe, let's start with our solar system. There's one star, and I don't know if this is going to be... You can just pause it right there, because I really don't know, Kevin. I don't know. Just, we'll play it by ear. One star in our solar system. That star is called the sun, all right? The surface of the sun is 100,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That's pretty hot. It was 106 this last week. 100,000 degrees is, is pretty hot. The sun's also 93 million miles away. The sun is also a million times the size of our earth. And yet Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. God breathes out stars. If the earth, kiddos hold this up, if the earth were the size of a golf ball, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. I was thinking about that. 15 feet, my guess, is probably up to... Kinsey construction. So imagine we take this golf ball and we put it on this wall. It's pretty small. The sun, the earth compared to the sun is massive. Did I say that right? The earth, the sun compared to the earth is massive. Sun's so big that you could put 960,000 earths inside the sun. Say that again. The sun's so big, you could put 960,000 earths inside the sun. That's enough golf balls to fill an entire school bus. Raise your hand if you ride the bus to school. Have you ever been on one? 
Imagine the entire bus filled with 960,000 golf balls. The sun is just one of hundreds of billions of stars in the Milky Way. The star Betelgeuse, is how I'm going to pronounce that, is 427 light years away from us. That's a long ways. That's 5.888 trillion miles away from the earth. I don't think we'd make it there by tomorrow. The star, the star Betelgeuse is twice the size of the earth's orbit around the sun. So here we go. If the earth was a golf ball and you wanted to put this golf ball up to Betelgeuse, Betelgeuse would be the size of six. How many of y'all have ever seen the Empire State Building? I've been there, I've seen it. It's one of those where you walk up to it and you're like, oh my word, that's way up there. Imagine taking your golf ball, putting it at the base of the Empire State Building, taking a step back, probably a couple blocks, binoculars, looking at that golf ball and then looking up. Six Empire State Buildings. If, there was, if the earth was a golf ball, Betelgeuse would be the size of six Empire State Buildings stacked on top of each other and the golf ball being at the very bottom. You could fit 252 trillion Earths inside Betelgeuse. Now, this is just what we know. Just to be very frank. This is all we know. This is what, our, what we have created, what God has allowed us to create to see. You could fit 252 trillion Earths inside Betelgeuse. 252 trillion of these things could fit inside that one those six Empire State Buildings. If the Earth were the golf ball, that would be enough golf balls to fill up AT&T several thousand times. Golf balls inside of AT&T Stadium several thousand times. The star, Musefi, used to be called Herschel's Garnett Star. Now, this is 20 years old, maybe even 25 years old. I think there's one or two other stars that we've seen. This, this is just mind-blowing to me. If the earth were the size of a golf ball, Musifi would be the width of two Golden State bridges end-to-end. -end. It's so big that you could fit 2.7 quadrillion earths inside this one star. Imagine going to San Francisco, the Golden Gate Bridge. You put your golf ball down, you drive across the bridge, you turn around only to see nothing because you can't see it, and then you go one more, full-length Golden Gate Bridge. You'd have to get a telescope just to see the golf ball by the time you got to two Golden Gate Bridges. That's how big the Earth is compared to that star. Seven quadrillion Earths inside of... Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Back up. It's so big you could fit 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside this one star. To give you an idea, one quadrillion is... A quadrillion seconds ago would be 38,800,000 years ago. One of the largest stars science has ever found thus far is called Canis Majoris. There's one more. If the Earth were a golf ball, Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. That's almost six miles above sea level. At the highest point of the planet, you would take your golf ball at the base of that mountain and you would look up, and that's how big and vast that one star that we see. You could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside of this star. That's enough Earths if the Earth with her golf ball to cover the entire state of Texas and golf balls 22 inches deep. You know, sin has a very funny way of making us feel like we're something. This is me talking now. 
it's easy to shrink God down in our minds. Like we're just a man. We are just a vapor, tiny and frail, here today, gone tomorrow, and yet we are marked by his majesty. We've been created in his image, and the creator who breathes out all of the stars, who puts the universe into place, is the same one who's breathing life into you this very moment. In all of his majesty, all of his splendor and glory, you are invited into his grace and love. You have been invited in to his grace and love. Like he's mindful of you and me. In all of that, he is mindful. You are not just a speck on a golf ball 22 inches deep in the state of tech. Like that was just to, to get us thinking like how small we are in the vast galaxies that we don't even know about. And yet he's mindful of Trin, of Heather, of Jen. He's mindful of you, Jay. He's mindful of you, Kevin, Jordan, Alexa. He's mindful of you. He's not too big for you. He can handle your mess. He can handle all of your shame and guilt. And he did that through a gentle and lowly baby born in a manger who humbled himself and went to the cross on your behalf. And that is how he shames his enemies through defeating death. That's why he chose to speak and to use children. What glorious God we serve. Father, we, we pray this morning, wherever we find ourselves in this, Lord, I, I just pray that maybe we take a step back. We realize your goodness and your grace, maybe for the first time, that you care for us, you love us, You've never left us. You don't plan to leave us. A few weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 51. You don't turn away from us in our sin. Oh my goodness, you actually relentlessly pursue our hearts in it. You just want, you want your children to be with you. I can't help but think of how beautiful and glorious you are and how we play such a small, just in time, much less space, just a small glimpse of our life. I think of this often. On our tombstone, there'll be two numbers, and in between that, those numbers is a dash. And that's all we have. You've given us this dash, found right now in all of eternity, here we are, what are we doing with it? Oftentimes I live for my own mission, my own glory. Would you remind us that you've called us into your mission? Making much of you. Pointing everyone we can. Children, friends, acquaintances, co-workers, neighbors. Pointing them to the grace of God for sinners and sufferers and that you're mindful of us. And then as we respond, I can't help but think how David ends is exactly how he starts. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. 
thank you for taking us and all of our brokenness. Those that have put their hope and faith and trust in you, thank you for, for healing us, for using us in a powerful way. Thank you, Lord. Would you save those who, who are wrestling with this right now? I think, I think what you'd like them to know would they know that you are mindful of them. You care for them. You're not too busy. You're not too big. You stooped to us on this planet through your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.